Welcome to the Jackson Hole Connection. Thank you for subscribing and downloading my first 10 episodes. I deeply appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedules to join me while I visit with worldly interesting people connected to Jackson Hole. Please go to my website, thejacksonholeconnection.com, to offer feedback, provide ideas, and even request to be on the show. When you have the time, please subscribe, share, rate, and review this podcast. My guest today on the Jackson Hole Connection is Betty Carnes Terrell. Betty's grandfather homesteaded the valley in 1897 from Pennsylvania. Betty is the third generation of a family with the sixth generation living in the valley today. Betty is known in the family as the storyteller, Grammy, and a quilter. Community and family have always been a core value for Betty. She was the president of the Chamber of Commerce in 1970 and has been a member of Rotary for over 29 years. Today, with Betty, we will hear some fascinating stories about growing up in Jackson Hole, calling this beautiful place home while sharing a few laughs. But before we begin, I have a quick word from one of our sponsors. Jackson Hole Marketplace, the small market in Jackson Hole with a huge reach. Stop in for hot coffee and homemade breakfast in the morning, awesome lunches in the afternoon, and finish the day with a soft serve ice cream and a six pack of beer. Need catering for breakfast or lunch? They can do it and deliver for free. Want to know more? Visit jhmarketplace.com. Betty, thank you for coming over here today and being a guest on the Jackson Hole Connection. Thank you, Stefan. It's nice to be here and share some of our old time stories. And it's hard to go back and remember what actually happened because I was born in 1934 in a little log cabin at the foot of Leeks Canyon. And I like to say that cabin's still standing and so am I. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, um, in 1934, Things were, and and the rest of the 1930s, we had two doctors, we had one lawyer, we had one real estate salesman, we had one bank, we had one grocery store. Um, It was during the war, and um, we were pretty self-sufficient. The depression was on. We didn't even know it because we had our milk cow, we had our chickens, a a horse to ride, bicycle to ride, um, pigs that we raised, and we didn't realize that it was bad other places. Going to school, the grade school was 1 through 6. The high school was then 7 through 12. We had three hotels, the Crabtree, the Wirt Hotel, and the Richmond Hotel. We didn't have TV until I was 21, so we learned to do a lot of playing and adventures and stuff. Uh, we read a lot. We There were three families on the west side of town that grew up together, the Gillettes, the Driscolls, and the Carneses. And we used to be able to put our skates on in our house and skate to the Y because there were no buildings, no roads, or when Flat Creek floods, it freezes from the bottom up and then would flood the fields. So we had a lot of skating that we had fun doing (laughs) so life was good and we we learned how to love each other and appreciate what each other's qualities were and then we when the war was over and gas wasn't rationed anymore neither was meat or leather shoes or sugar Um, and people started going through Jackson to Yellowstone on vacations and whatever and pretty soon they started staying longer in Jackson and it became a destination area. 
I was at a meeting once where Felix Buckenroth told us, and I think this was about 1950, he said that 89% of our income in the valley was from tourism, and the dollar rolled over nine times. And that meant you could pay your mortgage or your rent, your taxes, your insurance, your, your food, your utilities, your car payment and your gas, your clothes, your medical, and your entertainment. Betty, thank you for that great introduction, what it was like growing up here in the Valley and how Jackson has changed so much since you've been here, since you were born here. But let's back up a few steps, if we may. And in the pre-show when we were first talking, I had asked you how your grandfather arrived. And you told me a little bit about that. Could you go into some more detail about how your grandfather arrived here in the valley? And when I said that he survived, you said, oh, no, he didn't. So go into that story a little bit. So um, our grandfather um, came here first as a hunting guide and um, saw the potential of the valley and went back to Pennsylvania and brought his father out uh, to our town and um, that is uh, what made him start living here. You could farm it and fence it and get 160 acres. You had to prove that up Um, and he did that. In the process of him being a rancher, he passed away when my dad was seven so our grandmother kept the taxes paid on the ranch bless her heart, um, for the years and years of us being able to inherit it from them. She worked at um, Crabtree Hotel as a maid and also as um, a waitress. And our dad told us that a lot of times the food that they had was what she brought home from the hotel. So times were tough, but they made it. So your grandfather, he came out here covered wagon on horseback train? I think he, well, he might have come on a tra- You know what, Stephen? I really don't know. But I, we have pictures, early time pictures, of him at uh, Jenny Lake with uh, um, being a hunting guide with tents in the background. So I don't know how I think he, I don't think he came with a covered wagon. I never saw or knew of a covered wagon. Okay. But um, I, I think that they did ride horseback. That's a long horseback ride from Pennsylvania. They um, also settled in um, Oklahoma for a while. Lawton, Oklahoma was uh, a place that I've heard. Okay. So when your grandfather arrived here with his father, so did your dad grow up with his grandfather living here too? Boy, I don't remember when his grandfather passed away, but my dad and my uncle were both born here. So quite a bit of lineage that still rests here in in Jackson Hole. And when the Depression started coming to an end because the war was over and you said that the rations were now over, you told me about um, a hotel that your family opened. What was the name of that hotel? Okay, so... So there was six in our family of Carnes's, and uh, we we named our our motel the Six Barkay Motel, like a Western brand. We built it uh, a, a few. <laughs> I have a funny story to tell. 
my dad bought a house on the east side of town, a house, a two-story house, and they had great big logs that they would put under this house and then pull it to the front, uh, where and, and then put another log under it and then pull it to the front again, and it took three days to get this house from the east side of town down to our property, which is there by the five-way stoplight. And that became a, a motel unit. They moved it. They moved the house. With logs. With logs. And Smokies. a tractor. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's commitment. <laughs> yeah. And, and then we built another uh, building that had six units in it. And then we built another, um, we ended up with 39 units in our, our motel. And we ran it. Um, for a long time until actually Clarion Law and her family bought it from us. And what is the hotel that's in that yeah. property now? Okay, it's called the Elk Country Inn. The Elk Country Inn. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's, it's right behind Bubba's. All right. And to put it in perspective, from where that house was moved on logs to the where it resides now would be about a five minute bike ride yes from one spot to the next so it's yep. not really far in distance but it's the process that was available to move yep. that home at that time yep. and it worked and it worked and yep. they got it moved yep and <laughs> how <laughs> remarkable that is commitment that um your family saw the benefit of of moving that home and you were also telling me about your first job here in the Valley and how much you got paid. Oh, my gosh. Um, my first job away from home was at the Jackson Drugstore. And I think I was 16. Um, they had a, uh, an age uh, limit of what you could. If you were less than that, you could only work a couple of hours a day. But um, I was paid 50 cents an hour. And I'm going to tell you, I ate every kind of ice cream they made in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> And during that time, too, I have to say um, a story. We had one newspaper. It was called the Jacksonville Courier. It was owned by Wilford Nielsen, who was also an attorney. But he had a sense of humor, and he always thought that he needed to have an April Fool's issue. So growing up, um, there was a guy named Dudley Hayden. Pete Hayden went to school with me uh, 12 years. But anyway, Dudley took care of Jackson's water supply that came out of Cash Creek. And also, he did a a lot of um, planting the bushes and the flowers and trees that are in the town square. So the April Fool's issue said that Dudley had sent in a sample of Jackson's water supply to Cheyenne to be tested, and it came back, your horse has diabetes. (laughs) (laughs) So that was, the Jackson Courier was our only newspaper for a long time, and it, it was fun to read. How often was that paper published? Once a week. Once a week. Yep. And the rest of the time you got the news just by talking to people. That's right. You mm-hmm. walked around town and yep. talked to people. You're right. You know, Stephen, we had no television, so we listened to the radio a lot. And um, I remember that our radio station came from Idaho Falls, and we had Author Godfrey every morning. And then at night, um, there was war news, and we would just sit around the, the radio and listen to the tragedies of the day in the war. I mean, remember my folks listening to how many planes got shot down and stuff like that. So that was a part of our day for a while. 
And the home that you grew up in, it was a log cabin or was it a board building? We lived in a log cabin for until I was five. And then we, um, my folks built a board house. Uh, It was right across from the grade school, which is now the Grandview Motel. When I was five and a half, my family had twins. So my twin sisters and I outgrew the house and they built another one where the Elk Country Inn now is. And it was during the war, so we were supposed to have a bathroom on the upstairs and the main floor. We could only get the fixtures for the main floor until the war was over. I remember that. They just weren't available. Mm -mm. Hmm. Mm -hmm. So the war did come to Jackson in the side of, and this is World War II that we're referring to. So it did affect Jackson Hole. Even though it's so far away, in a way, Jackson was isolated and self-sustaining because you had your own beef, you mm-hmm. had your own milk, you had mm-hmm. chickens for eggs and whatever else. What about, for the, what about for the vegetables? What would you do? We had gardens. You had gardens? But, you know, you, and you can. We, we picked and processed a lot of peas, but we had um, other things that grew, the um, beets, radishes lettuce. We had those fresh vegetables during the summer, and then we froze peas during the summer that we had. I have to go back. During the war, we had one dentist, well, a man and wife dentist that were here, Dr. Gladys and Don Nagley. And he used to knit socks for the soldiers while he was waiting for customers to come. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Did, do you know how many pairs of socks he knitted? You know, I really don't. But I do know that there was a draft then. Mm-hmm. I mean, the people did enlist on their own, but there was also the draft. Margaret Steed was the draft board here, and there were healthy, available men that got drafted. Here from Jackson Hole. Mm-hmm. Well, there's the memorial on the town square. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you remember when the memorial was erected? I can't remember the year, but uh-huh. Homer Richards um, bought that and donated the. Um, it's got a cowboy um, on the top as a as a statue, a sculpture, mm-hmm. and then with the uh, the military names on that. Homer Richards started that, and it was a gift to Jackson from him. It was very nice of him. It would have been very fascinating to talk to somebody like Homer Richards. Yeah, it would have been. I heard he had a sense of humor and was just a very kind person. He had um, a, two pockets full of Tootsie Rolls. When you would see him, he'd always be passing out Tootsie Rolls <laughs> <laughs> to everybody, every day. That was his thing. That's terrific. Yeah. I love it. So you met your husband here in Jackson Hole? hmm And was he born and raised here in Jackson no, Hole? he came from Dixon, Wyoming, which is down by Bags. Um, he was in the Navy, and then when he got out of the Navy, he came in here and he worked for a propane company, Van Gas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you guys met and started back then. It was called courting. <laughs> he started courting. Did he ask your father's permission? No, my father was gone already. Oh, I'm sorry to hear Yeah. Yeah, but we've been married. It'll be 46 years in November, so it's been a long time. Congratulations. Thank you. That's a great time. Yeah. That's a lot of years to be together. Yeah. Something that I look forward to. Well, good luck. (laughs) Thank you. I've got seven under my belt. Good for you. (laughs) 
at this time. I think probably good for my wife. <laughs> she has to put up with me. <laughs> so um, going back to the Carnes family mm-hmm. in Jackson Hole, what was Jackson Hole like before you would see a tourist base economy coming through here? Well, there were, up and down the valley, there were still ranchers that grew Hereford cattle for beef, and they made their living selling selling the cattle, usually in the fall. Well, the airport was a dirt airport, and it just had their 50th year anniversary um, this year, and that was pretty interesting, but um, it, it was within a national park and controversy all the time about it shouldn't be, but then it would need to be extended, and so they would get it extended, and well, it shouldn't be, but it's still there. So, I mean, we're lucky. I believe it's the only airport in a national park. I believe it is, too. Throughout the country. So when you fly into Jackson Hole, you're landing in Grand Teton National Park. That's right. And you could almost not be closer to the mountains unless you were hiking in them. It's a beautiful land. It is a beautiful land and one that I always appreciate. Your family, were they excited to see the tourists come through? Oh, yes. Yeah? Yeah, you know, it was pretty calm. We were busy in the summertime, but... But we didn't have skiing in the winter, not until Teton Village, which is the Jacksonville Ski Area, uh, started. And I think it's 40 years old now. I think so, yeah. So, um, so it kind of closed down after hunting was over in the fall. We just kind of lived off of each other during the winter until the um, Yellowstone would open again in the spring and, and it would draw traffic through here. What about Snow King, though? Snow, Snow King was the mountain that we all grew up on, and it went through lots of phases. Um, there was a guy, Neil Rafferty, um, that took over the management of, first we had a rope tow, then we had what they called a palma lift, which was a, a bracket that was on a cable, and you kind of sat on it and went up the hill, halfway up the hill. Um, the uh, Then they got the double chairlift, and that went clear to the top. And um, that was the only ski area that we had. Um, when Jackson Hole Ski Area started, they had the uphill equipment. They put in the tram. Um, but they didn't have ways of accommodating skiers to come, so they really became friends with the Motel Association in Jackson. They paid all of our postage for promotion. They um, they needed us for the first few years until they got their hotels built and could accommodate their skiers. And I'm sure you you all needed them too. We did. We I know we we had our motel was operating then in the summertime, and then pretty soon we were uh, year round because we had the skier business also. That had um, when you realized that your hotel could be year round, it had to have been a huge accomplishment. It was. It was still. And it still is slower like the month of April when skiing is over and summer hasn't started yet. And the month of November when elk hunting and uh, is, is finished and um, skiing hasn't started yet. So 
people that come to town, in my opinion, that see the July, August, and September business and think, boy, we're just a bunch of fat cats. We are really busy then, but you have to prepare for the slack time also, or you're not going to make it. That is so very true. Indeed. The off-season is is tough, but it's not quite what it used to be in in your days when you were growing up or even when I first moved here. Because when I moved here, there were even restaurants that would just completely close to where now most restaurants are able to stay open during that time of year, which is great that they can do that. Going back a little bit, you have probably heard and seen some really crazy and wild things that have happened here here in Jackson Hole. Do you recall something that sticks out in your mind that you're like, you would not believe it unless you were there to see it? You know, the cutter races in the wintertime were something that people always, they, they trained their horses for, they um, they planned on being there. They um, That was something that was uh, unique to our area that they didn't have another areas. Uh, We had the town downhill, which records were set. There was a guy that went to school with us, Russ Hines, that came off the top of Snow King in two minutes. And we thought he was going to kill himself, (laughs) (laughs) but he made it. (laughs) Um, I think that one of the later things that is really fascinating is the activity the old bill creates. And and uh, that's not in the early days, but my gosh, it really makes people work together for a common interest. So let me tell people a little bit about Old Bills and a little bit about the Cutter Races. So the Cutter Races is an event during the wintertime where essentially people are running horses and the riders are in a sort of a chariot and they run side by side down a course and when it first started it was down the main street right in front of the wart hotel is that correct that is correct okay it was fun and you don't see the cutter races anymore the shriners at some point took it over to raise money for the hospital down in salt lake city but due to seasonality and the lack of consistency of snow they had to stop doing that but at some point they had to stop shutting down town square and they moved that to south of town to melody ranch there was also a time when it, it it ran on the gib scott land which is by the y okay all right mm-hmm. which in my day that has been developed so that would not have been available so they moved it a little bit south and then moved it even more south of town correct okay it was on the von gondard property then i i remember going to the cutter races and it was phenomenal to see and to know that those people are running those horses down the packed snow was remarkable to see it was absolutely amazing um and then moving over to old bills old bills is a fundraiser designed by the community foundation and a family here in town where the purpose is to get people involved about giving in their community. Mm-hmm. So all the money raised in, during Old Bill's time stays in the community. And there's some parameters with how the 
nonprofit organizations can spend that money. But Mm -hmm. the key part is, is it teaches the community to be a part of, to create and be a part of a community, but also to give back to the community. And what you give back stays here, Mm -hmm. which is a remarkable, remarkable event. And I know that there's other community foundations throughout the country which have now picked up that model as well. Mm-hmm. And Driggs has. Driggs mm-hmm. has it, and they call it the 10 Cup, I believe, yes. is is their fun run. Mm-hmm. I love taking my boys out to it. They have a great time. Yeah. And whenever we pass our house, they think the race is done, so usually we just finish there. <laughs> <laughs> Which maybe in a few years they will be able to go a little bit further than a 5K, mm-hmm. and we'll be able to get a little bit more done. Um, I need to add the matching funds that are done um, anonymously. Uh, for the old, for the donations that are made to old builds are really important too, and there's a lot of very charitable people here that that get involved. That is so true, mm-hmm. indeed. Can you imagine if Jackson Hole had those resources back in the '50s? What this community would have been like then? No, I can't imagine that. I mean, uh, there was always a project that um, was uh, the reason that it was done. Uh, to, to donate to something or to, to help with something. So back in non-modern days or let's say back in the 50s, the 60s, and 70s, especially during the off-season months, the non-summer months, what type of events would happen other than the 49er ball to bring the community together? Because it was a it was still a really small community. Maybe if – if Jackson hit a thousand people back then, that was big. Yeah. I mean, even now the town is only what seventy five hundred people, maybe. So, what what know. are some of the things that you guys would well, do? Well, there was the the competition between the the ski teams. There was a man's hockey team. They were pretty tough. Uh, those were like weekend events that happened during the winter. Do you remember the first trip that you took out of the valley? The first trip, well, my grandparents left the valley in the winter and went to Tucson. And so we made a car trip. I remember going to the Grand Canyon when I was about seven or eight and seeing that phenomenal. What was it like getting out of this valley here in Jackson Hole and seeing other parts of the country? Oh, gosh, it was amazing. How so? Well, to the fact that we were pretty well isolated here and thought this is it, and then you <laughs> you go get out of here and there was traffic. There were all kind of people. There were more cultural and exciting things to see. Just more, more and more. Mm-hmm. Okay, I bet it was eye-opening to see how much more was out there in the in the rest of the world. It was. Did you ever have a travel bug? Oh, yeah, I still do. <laughs> do you? All right. I used to think it would be fun to go around the world, but now I think it, I'd like to go back to Hawaii one more time. You should do it. <laughs> yes. Maybe in November. Oh, maybe. That's a good idea. Yeah, you, you and your <laughs> husband. anniversary. That sounds like a great anniversary trip. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you should you should definitely do that. You know, we have done some uh, in our later years. We bought an RV. We have driven to Alaska twice. We've been into Mexico. Um, we really we've been to the Oregon coast a lot. We uh, got involved with catching our own crab, and that's a job picking it. 
And when you see um, the meat market, the, the, the seafood meat market that said, grab $32 a pound, I'll tell you what, it's worth it. <laughs> <laughs> it took a, about an hour and a half to pick a crab. But um, you could also pick blackberries and blueberries, and I canned a lot and froze a lot, and we fished a lot, and we caught salmon, and we've had a great life adventuring out of here, and it was interesting because here we are in the valley with the mountains. When we had time off, we'd go to the ocean. Oh, that's spectacular. Mm -hmm. I love the ocean. Yeah. Yeah. I remember the first time I introduced my oldest son to the ocean. He had no idea what to do with it. Yeah. <laughs> Run on the beach. Yeah. Now he does. <laughs> now he knows how to get in there. Uh-huh. And, and he absolutely loves it. He absolutely loves it. So when you were growing up, were there still trappers here in the valley? Yes. They trapped muskrat out of Flat Creek and, and other places. Um, there was um, a big, you know, they, they uh, started feeding the elk early on and the elk refuge was um, was like the salmon going back to their birthplace the elk would migrate to the elk refuge um, from Yellowstone from uh, from around and um, they got fed I can't tell the the whole story but the Isaac Walton League was the one that started the um, elk um, refuge okay and before that, were you able to just go in your backyard and shoot an elk or your front yard? It probably wasn't hard uh, to find there one. There were seasons. Okay. There were still seasons back That's then. That's right. But I'll tell you what, a lot of us were raised on that wild meat. Mm-hmm. And um, thank goodness we had the, the opportunity to do that. So in the fall, you would probably kill an elk. Right. Somebody would kill an elk yeah. and it'd just leave it outside and or well, in we, a smokehouse. Actually, um, we bought a, boy, we were pretty lucky because we got a deep freeze that was a chest type. And so the elk would get cut up and packaged and frozen. Mm-hmm. Okay. But not everybody had that deep freeze. No. So the people that didn't have a deep freeze, how did they, what did th- they survive on? I think on? there were ice houses that people kept their meat hanging all winter. Okay. Just go out there and cut off a steak and <laughs> that was dinner. <laughs> <laughs> and and where were people harvesting the ice from? You know, um, you could cut blocks of ice, like big, well, more than bricks. Um, and you could put ice with sawdust around that on the floor where where the um it would keep your cabin your ice house cold okay the sawdust was the insulator sawdust was the insulator that kept the the and of course it's cold so Mm -hmm. um the ice didn't melt very easily because it's cold outside Mm -hmm. i think it was colder when i was growing up than it is now and i also believed we had more snow then and the, and there were lots of times where the roads were closed and we didn't have to go to school. We had snow days. No kidding. But, mm-hmm. Not nowadays. Not now. There was one time when school was closed for a whole week and Mama fixed it up so that we had a gas range. She hung blankets over our dining room, or over the kitchen doors, and we had a card table. We still had to do our homework, but we were nice and warm. Oh, I bet you were. Mm-hmm. That does sound nice and warm. <laughs> Your mom was very uh, creative. She and, was and gen- a survivor. 
It sounds like it. Mm-hmm. And where was your mom from? Uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan. And how did she end up here in Jackson? Well, her, her parents came here on the train. Uh, she's a twin, and they came. Um, we have a cute little picture of her and our uncle in a buggy, a double buggy. But they were three when they came to Jackson to live. My, my mom was three. I don't know how old the grandparents were. And what brought your mom's family out here? A zest for a better life. They thought they could be ranchers, and they did pretty good until the, the Depression, and they lost a lot. Then this um, down, which is now the Jackson Hole Hereford Company, which is Lockhart's, that's where my grandparents lived, and they had about 30 cows. This was like in the the later 1930s, we we um, delivered fresh milk and glass bottles to families in town. And then what wasn't sold to families, we had, um, there were five gallon, eight gallon, and 10 gallon cans. You could hardly lift them. They were so heavy, but they were full of milk. And, and we brought them into town to the Jackson Creamery and they were sent to Blackfoot once a week. And then we got some cash money. And it it was like pocket money that was really nice to have. So this was your mom's family? My mom's family. And they ran, the, they uh, milked cows. They had they dairy cows. The, that's right. Were they the only dairy source here in the valley? Um, I kind of think so. And okay. they called themselves the sanitary dairy. The sanitary dairy. <laughs> <laughs> and what was your mom's family's name? Van Lewin. Van Lewin. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then your mom met your father, who his father moved here, mm-hmm. and they got married out here in Jackson. That's right. Okay. And then started having a family. Yep. That's spectacular. So um, my dad went to Frank Wiggins Trade School in Los Angeles when Mama was still in high school. It was a nine-month education, and he came back to Jackson and built a little cabin in the alley behind what was Jackson Hole, let's see, what was Blake Vandewater's um, Jackson Hole Hardware. Well, in 1934, that cabin burned, and they moved out of the alley and then built a dry cleaners building there where Two Gray Hills is now. Okay. And and then Quality Cleaners was run there for 20 years. That was my dad's company. And then he sold it to Alfreda Jordan. And the Quality Cleaners is now Orion Cleaners. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Matt Ryan Mm -hmm. has it now. Right. Yeah. So... When you were growing up here, most of what life was in Jackson was pretty much around the town square. Mm-hmm. It probably didn't go more what more than three, four blocks away on either side. That's right. And if you went further than that, that was out of town probably. <laughs> I had girlfriends that lived, uh, like Mary Mead was up Spring Gulch. Um, that was you needed a ride to go see that friend. Uh, I had other friends that were in town, but town was pretty small. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How long would it take you to get over to Mary Mead's house up Spring Gulch Road? Well, on a bicycle, probably an hour. An hour? Mm-hmm. 
Would it still take you an hour to get there on a bicycle? Well, probably not. The no. Bicycle, probably 10 minutes now. <laughs> <laughs> are the bikes faster or the roads the faster? The roads are better. The and roads the bikes are, better. are better. And the, the bikes are better. Bike, yeah. So when you were growing up, there probably weren't many paved roads. There wasn't. I learned to drive on a, on Pearl Street, which was then a dirt road. Was it? Mm-hmm. Okay. And In fact, my dad bid on a truck a, a person died in, up in Grand Teton Park, and there was nobody to claim this truck, so they had a silent auction. My dad paid uh, $350. At, uh, that was his bid, and he got the truck. I drove that all through high school, and Stefan gas was $0.35 cents a gallon. I got $2 a week for my allowance, and I spent it all on gas. But <laughs> I, I taught a lot of my friends how to drive out in the Elk Refuge in that pickup. That's spectacular. <laughs> I love it. I bought a truck when I first moved out here. It was a stick shift 1977 Ford F250. And I didn't know how to drive a stick shift. I had <laughs> I had my brother test drive it for me. He said, yeah, it drives good enough. And then a friend of mine at the liquor store, JT, said, I'll teach you how to drive it. Because he grew up driving ranch trucks. We drove out to the Elk Refuge and the tailpipe fell off. <laughs> But I had a blast with that truck. It was it was a great time. So I learned how to drive on the Elk Refuge as well. Good. <laughs> I bet a lot of people have learned how to drive out there to. on the Elk Refuge. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. So when you were growing up, there were quite a few ranchers there out were. here. Mm-hmm. How have you seen that transition over the years? Well, the, the beef cattle industry had its highs and lows. We saw a lot of the the ranches put in cabins, and pretty soon they had dudes that would come, and then they'd have horses that th- these dudes could go out on. They also floated the river. Um, pretty soon the, the dude money was a lot easier to get than the cattle ranching was. And when you say dude, where did that name come from? Well, I think it was somebody that... It, dreamed of being a horse person or living in the West, and they were a dude until they performed that they <laughs> could ride a horse without falling off. All right. <laughs> I don't know. So a dude was not uh, an everyday term that you would use for some friends. No. Um, it was kind of a term that showed, here's this greenhorn who probably doesn't know what they're doing. Uh, and... It was a a respected name. It was a respected name. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, Betty, to share with the listeners today about Jackson Hole, Wyoming, why did you stay here in Jackson Hole, Wyoming? What makes this place so special Mm -hmm. to you? Well, it's a safe place. There's low crime. The air is clean. I was born here. My friends were here. I just was satisfied to not feel like I needed to leave. I get it. You just never felt any other place to go. My grandfather was born in 1904. He slept in the room he was born in. And I asked him once, why did you, why do you live in the room that you were born in? He's like, why do I need to go anywhere? (laughs) He was fine with it. Yeah. And he ran the hardware store, the mercantile store that his, his uh, father and uh, uncle had started in the late 1800s. And he was happy. Mm -hmm. That's, that's all he ever wanted. Mm Mm-hmm. And he was very happy with that. Going back to one of the things that you do as a hobby is quilting. Right. I remember my grandmother, 
she was not a quilter, but I have some of the family quilts which were made. Good for you. And those quilts were more practical than decorative. That's right. So how did you get into quilting and why did you get into quilting? Well, I just love to sew, and there's always a challenge, and there's always friends that want to do that, too. I belong to the Jackson Hole Quilt Guild, and there's about 40 members here. They meet once a month. They have a show-and-tell, and you can show what you have made. It used to be that quilts, you never wasted a thing. You used old clothes and made quilts out of them so that people could have that for warmth but now it's become very artistic to design and there's many kinds that you can quilt it on a machine you can quilt by hand you can um, applique um, they are even started to do some painting uh, on quilts and you get involved and pretty soon there's contests there there are two really big areas in America uh, Paducah, Purdue, Kentucky. Paducah, Kentucky? Pa- Paducah, Kentucky, and also uh, Houston, Texas. They are f- phenomenal quilt areas. Okay. So it's, uh, it's the equipment and the supplies and what you can put together, and then some, some of those women that quilt are just artists. That's awesome. That's spectacular. Well, Betty, I appreciate you coming and sharing some of the history of Jackson Hole and about your family creating such deep roots here in the valley and being so important to this to this valley. Thank you so much. You're sure welcome, Abram. I want to insert something. Please. You know, um, one of my loves is playing in the Jackson Hole Community Band. And uh, we operate on just donations that buys our music, uh, repairs our horns, pays our director, and rents our room that we practice in every Thursday night. It is something that I played in high school, and then I went 40 years without playing my saxophone, and now I'm doing that again. It's so fun, and there's about 40 or 50 people that play music lovers, that play um, for the different events. Um, There will be a Christmas concert. Um, They play for the uh, Special Olympics. There's a spring concert, and then the Jackson Lake Lodge invites the band to come and play their 4th of July concert up there in that wonderful building with that big, tall ceiling. We just have, it's so fun to do that. So anybody that can read music and has an instrument to play, please feel welcome to come and join the community band. Tell you what, we'll put in the show notes a link to the Jackson Hole Community Band's website. So if anybody wants to find out more about the community band, they can look at the show notes on the website, thejacksonholeconnection.com, and they can get more information about the community band. Good. Thank you for sharing that, Betty. I appreciate it. You're welcome. And thank you for being a part of that band. Thank per- you very much. I hear them in all the parades. <laughs> yeah, it's fun to do that. <laughs> well, you have a wonderful day. I so appreciate you coming and visiting today. Thank you for asking me, Indeed. Stephen. Indeed. Is it okay to pair beer with Beef Wellington? Does Merlot go with Red Bull? Not sure how to make the perfect bourbon and Coke? Well, the team at the liquor store of Jackson Hole can answer all of these questions plus more. Stop in at 115 Buffalo Way, Jackson, Wyoming, or visit us at tlsofjh.com 
to experience service that will knock your socks off. The liquor store has been serving the Jackson Hole Valley for over 35 years. Thank you everyone for tuning in today to the Jackson Hole Connection. I hope you have enjoyed listening and can take away a little nugget about life. I'm always looking for fun guests who have a connection to Jackson Hole. Know of someone who would be great to be on the show? Please send me an email to connect at thejacksonholeconnection.com. Please subscribe, rate, and review The Jackson Hole Connection on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you receive your podcasts. A special shout-out to my friend Luke Taylor for producing and providing the tunes for this podcast. Y'all come back again, you hear?